So Simone, welcome to the Every Mind podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. We were just talking a bit off air about the dreaded COVID that you were recovering from, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, It's been an eventful week. <laughs> yeah, so no, I appreciate you taking the time out Um, when you're feeling probably the way that you're feeling right now. Um, But no, really looking forward to today's episode because when it comes to, you know, the human-centric workplace and bringing our whole selves to work, it's something that we as an organization shout a lot about when it comes to the importance of, you know, mental health in the workplace being about us feeling safe to talk about who we are and bringing our whole selves to work. So I'm really excited for this conversation. But I think as always, if we can just start with a little bit about kind of what you do now, and then a little bit about kind of what led you to to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So I work for an organization that's actually in Canada and um, called Relogics. So we're a workplace data analytics company, ultimately. Um, my, my role there is to work with customers to look at all of the data that exists in our organization to then pull it into a single pane of glass and there's that one sort of truth to ultimately drive that employee experience um, and you know how spaces are designed and how how they're working for the people um, and it's like aside from that kind of role um, I do a lot of other things um, and I'm not quite sure sometimes how I fit it in but I do a lot of kind of the volunteering with IWFM Institute Workplace Facilities Management um, and also the obviously I've, I've released my book as well so I'm kind of constantly just talking to people about employee experience and their well-being in the workplace and that's a lot of my role nice sounds like an exciting role um and was there a an underlying reason which led you to do that work and obviously you say you do a lot of stuff from volunteering to the to work yeah. to writing a book you don't do that unless there's like a fire inside if that makes sense yeah. you know what what kind of led you to to this place yeah, so I think going right back to starting my career, like I was actually meant to be a PE teacher um, and I was trained to be a PE teacher and I was working in a, a facility at the time um, within the facilities team and I had a lot of experiences and I thought, I'm not sure this is meant to be like the world of work. I'm not happy mm. with this. And I think that kind of sparked it. And as I kind of progressed through my career, went into teaching, came out of teaching, stuck with facilities management and then into the workplace. As I kind of moved through my career and had different managers, different companies, I just kept having all these really poor experiences and also listening to my colleagues having these really poor experiences. And I think these, my values are quite strong and I think it just like sparks this like, this is not okay for this to happen. Like, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna fix this. Um, and that's kind of like what fires me still like I just can't I can't walk past things that are not okay <laughs> yes yeah, so it's almost like the poor experiences that you had you can then probably imagine thousands if not millions of people having those same experiences and you want to do something about it in a way yeah and I think half of the battle sometimes as well is like you know earlier on in my career I would have probably have thought oh you know it's that it's that leader it's that manager they're awful and I think as I've kind of got older wiser I've realized that they actually don't, don't do it on purpose most of them mm. it's not intentional they're just lacking in self-awareness and I think that's half of the battle mm. um so I don't think there's bad people like bad managers bad leaders that are intentionally creating these toxic workplaces 
I just think they're not quite set up for driving a human-centric workplace. Yeah, uh, so true. So it's, it's education, right? You know, a lot of what yeah. we do focuses on the educational piece because, you know, I'm open about my mental health now, but I'm also the first person to admit that I had very bad associations with mental illness and mental health and all of that before I was impacted by it. So, you know, I almost had to re-educate myself and that come from personal experience. But then, you know, when you work with leaders in a business, it, as you say, they're not bad people. They just have been educated to see this approach in a certain way, you know, and, and I really want to dive into that because the human-centric workplace is something that excites me. Um, and obviously it's all detailed in your book, but, you know, what does the human-centric workplace look like? You know, can you give us a bit of a background on that? Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's it's the small things that add up to the big thing. And it's them interactions day to day that people have, um, the not just the workplace experience, but the employee experience element. And, you know, going, I talk about something in the book and it's, it's a really strong example, but talking about the, the corporations that are not paying enough tax and the impact. And we can all sit there and go, oh, that's not okay. But when you dig into it, there's, there's an example of, you know, Kenya lose around a billion pound a year in corporation tax that is not paid. And that is a country that is ultimately where women have got a one in 40 chance of dying in childbirth because there's not mm. enough healthcare. Mm. And it, it trickle effect. And it's like, we might work for these big organizations and think, oh, we're not paying corporation tax or whatever, but it's impacting the countries that it's, you know, the wider world. So I think it's, it's about having that consciousness. So the human centric workplace was not just the kind of the micro stuff that happens day to day in the organization, like leadership, you know, everything around well-being, how we're speaking to people, psychological safety, but it's the macro as well um, around the, the decisions that organizations take that lead, you know, ho hopefully to a better world in the future for us all. Um, whether that be, you know, healthcare in a, in a country or it could be the planet from a sustainability point of view as well. Mm, that's really interesting. I, I didn't know that. And again, like you, like you say, it's that macro approach on all of this. You know, we we often feel like as a as an organization or as an individual, well, what can we do to change that? You know, but but actually, as you say, when you actually look at it, we all have a a part to play in being able to change that. But the more we ignore it, you know, it's not going to change anytime soon. Um, and I think you know, what kind of impact have you seen that lack of a human approach having on you know? If, if we're specifically saying employee well-being, you know, we're looking at other factors as well. But, you know, if, if an organization isn't creating a human-centric workplace, what kind of impacts do you see that have on employee well-being? Yeah, I think it leads to that pressure where, I guess, multiple strings to, to this kind of bow is people will either take it as they're not good enough, and then that will lead to either self-esteem issues, confidence issues, or it'll flip and they will start working crazy amount of hours to make sure they feel good enough. And then obviously that will then lead to burnout. Um, so I think there's, there's that element of it. I think another kind of experience is that um, the psychological safety of it. So going to work and feeling like you can't be yourself, you can't share your opinions, things like you can't have any emotion as well. So I um, have personally experienced people saying to me, uh, leaders, oh, you know, you're being emotional or you're being dramatic. And I've had that. And I'm like, no, I'm just telling you what the, the fact is. Mm. And it's a, no, no, you're being emotional. And I'm like, I'm 
not really. <laughs> I'm just telling you that we're people, not robots, and there's emotion tied to this. Um, therefore, we need to consider the emotion that comes with it. And there's lots of examples like that that I've had personally, that colleagues and friends that have had. And it just leaves you with this like really bad taste in your mouth around the, the experience you're having in the workplace. And obviously, then it could even lead to disengagement, people leaving the organisation, people heading onto Glassdoor and having a, a good old run, mm -hmm. and all of these things that happen when people are not happy at work and they're not feeling supported and well, ultimately. Yeah. Have you started to see a change? Like, obviously, you know, we focus a lot in that side of it, psychological safety. You know, our mission as an organisation is to help employees feel safe to talk about mental health. Um, you know, it all comes from my own experience. You know, my dad sadly um, took his own life and I suffered with, you know, or struggled with depression, anxiety after that. And, you know, I remember vividly, and I talk about this on my sessions, as you've just highlighted there, I went back to work. I was like 19, dad's just taking his own life and didn't want to talk about it. Like, again, I don't want to talk about this stuff. But I remember my, I think it was my manager. It wasn't my line manager. It was my, the person above that said to me, Paul, I know you've got a lot going on right now, but leave your personal baggage at home. You know, don't bring it to work with you, right? And and that's like a a 19-year-old guy who's just ready to work up that corporate ladder and, you know, get promotions and get paid more and all of that. And, you know, it, what it didn't take, it was about a few years ago when I reflected back on that and thought to myself, wow, like if I would have stayed in that corporate environment, that workplace, how you know, how much would I have struggled to, to be vulnerable if I then feel like I'm going to be judged or my performance is going to be judged and all of that as well. So I think, you know, we're starting to see it slowly change, but are you seeing the same thing from your own experiences as well? Yeah, I think there's a lot of good intentions from organisations, but I, I feel like it's going to be a really slow change because there's so much more education that's needed. Um, and I think with things like this as well, like sometimes you can't really get it until you've experienced it yourself. And it's you can you can talk about it from that kind of conceptual thing. You know, you want to look after people, mm. you know, mental health is important. But until you're actually managing somebody that is having stuff going on in their personal lives, it changes your perception as a leader. I, I've had challenges myself. I've managed people with challenges and stuff going on. And you you sit back and you think like, You've got to remain that, like, it's it's quite, there's the pressure of the organisation that is saying, we just need this person back to work mm. um, because we're paying their wage and that job needs doing. And that always happens in every organisation I've worked for. But then there's that human side of it of, yes, but they're going through a really difficult time at the moment and it's not good for them to come back. We don't want, we need them to look after themselves. And it feels like still now, as much as we know that, looking after people's mental health in the workplace is the right thing to do. Too many organisations are doing a good old tick box, signing the mental health charters and getting mental health first aiders at work and all of these things, but we're not looking deep enough to go, what, what is driving these things? Because in most of the organisations I've worked with, they'll do all the tick boxes, but then all of the, the culture of the organisation is actually contributing to mm. people all mental health as well yeah. so they're not looking deep enough um they're doing a lot of surface level kind of it looks good for recruitment and brand and everything like that and that i think that's a big challenge yeah it's so true like you know we i talk a lot about the what and the why so 
you know, when I started to do talks in organizations, it was like, what are you doing for mental health? Well, we've got this, we've got that, we've got a slide in the office, we've got this. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, why are you doing that? And they're like, uh, that's where they got, they struggled. So it's kind of like what you've just said. It's very much with, with, we know we've gone for the whole tick box approach. We've got this initiative, that initiative, this initiative. But as you've said, if you don't have a human centric workplace, if you don't have the right intention, the strategy, the why behind it, you're going to lack engagement across all of those areas and everything else. Right. And um, I'm going to butcher this, this study, so I'm going to get it wrong, but um, someone in our team shared it earlier, Emily, she looked at some studies around stigma because we're doing a, a webinar on stigma next week and uh, next month. And we really believe in, as you've just said, you've got to change culture first. And it was a study that asked, you know, HR professionals across lots of businesses, what's your focus when it comes to mental health? And it was, you know, I think reducing stigma was like number five or six on the list. And everything above that was like your tick boxes that you've just said, right? So again, I think as you've just highlighted, it's those small little changes that sometimes companies neglect that has such a big impact overall. And what are some of those small little changes? Or I don't want to say like a, a secret formula for organizations, but you know, what can businesses or HR professionals do if they're listening to this to start trying to change that, that culture in an organization? I think one thing I've been like focusing on really, like from my thinking at the moment is how, when people go to their leaders or to HR with some kind of mental health um, challenge, they, the, the person sat opposite them goes into, I need to fix this mode. Mm. And I think that is, there's a there's a big difference between sympathy and empathy um and i think that that is the the one thing i think is that we need to learn is it's okay to just listen and just say god that's really that's really bad like that's really you know like how can we support you rather than going into this oh, okay well we're gonna do this we're gonna do this and um you know the the, co the common thing i hear still is people going speaking with HR and it's definitely not HR bashing because I think we've got a, a really awful and difficult job to do but it's an amazing rewarding job at the same time um, but hate people going to HR and it's oh I've got challenges on mental health and people still within HR saying oh have you looked at our back to work scheme because exercise will really help you mm -hmm. and it's it's them really poor examples that tarnish the whole thing so I think what, what we do need to do is get better at listening and leaning in and having difficult conversations um, and making it okay for somebody to just say, I'm having a really bad day. Like, you know, can we, can I, can I just talk to you? I don't want yeah. you to fix it. I don't want you to start recommending things to me. I just want you to listen. Um, mm. And I think, I think that's the, a good, really small, but massive thing that we can start with. Yeah. It's like, just listen more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's free and it's yeah. simple, but I always find with mental health, and I, I, again, I talk about this on my workshops, it's listening is like the hardest part of it, in my opinion. Like everyone says they're great listeners and I could say I'm a great listener. But when my dad or anyone, a colleague, a stranger is telling me their deepest problems when it comes to mental health, I'm vulnerable. Like I'm like, what do, what do I do? What do I do? Yeah. So it's very easy for all of us to then go into, as you say, solution mindset of like, try this, try exercise, you know, or I did a puzzle last night. You should try a puzzle. It's good. <laughs> but I'm, I'm when I, you know, and I'm sure you, you've had your own experiences. I, I think to myself, you know, I tried to solve my dad when he was struggling, but when I was struggling, I realized I don't want your solution. I want your ears. That's it. Right. You just want that person. And I think as you've just highlighted, if I walk into HR, that takes a lot for me to do that. 
you know, so if I walk into HR and I trust HR, I say, I'm really struggling at the moment. That's a massive, it's a massive step, right? And in that moment, like you say, it can be tarnished if I have a bad experience, because the next time I want to open up to someone, I'll remember that experience and I won't want to do it again. Um, so yeah, I really like that. So like listening more is important. Yeah, is. And again, is that, is that education? Is it, it comes yeah, back yeah. to education again? Yeah, I think education and then the person sat opposite of them, having enough self-awareness and being comfortable in their own skin to just listen and not go into fixing mode. Um, I've been reading the Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. Um, mm. Really, really good book. Have a read. And um, I've been reading that over the last couple of weeks. And that's really made me sit back and go like, wow, all of these emotions that people experience. And actually, if you sat there and said, what, how many emotions of a person can you name? You would do the whole happy, sad, angry, mm. and like you do the obvious ones. But I think the, I, I personally think that every single person, whether you've got uh, stuff going on or not, every person should go and discover and be curious and head into therapy. And I think mm. it's good for every single person to do that. I think you'll always come out of it with knowing yourself better. And I think when you know yourself better, you can help other people as well. Yeah. I love that. It comes back to, you mentioned self-awareness earlier, doesn't yeah. it? It's like, yeah. So have you, have you found with your own journey, like the importance of self-awareness, like identifying within yourself, kind of how you're feeling, like you say, your triggers, is that something that yeah. you've worked on? Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think, so I, I go back to, I know that like when I start getting, when my mental health starts slipping, I'll start working more and it's mm. like an absolute distraction. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm just going to work late because I need to get this stuff done. And it's just a pure distraction. Um, and I, I can tell like simple things like my wife goes, oh, what, what should we have for tea tonight? And I'm like, I roll. I hate that question. Don't ask me that question. You do tea. And it's like, why? Why is that? Like, and it's like a decision fatigue thing. Like, I don't want to talk about the minute, small things. Like, it's like, just don't ask me them things, just do it. Like, I ain't got room in my head for it. And I know that that is a sign for me that I need to take some step back. Like, go get some time off work. <laughs> go take a few hours. Go get some fresh air. Walk my dog. Uh, listen to some music. Go play FIFA. And I think I've got better at knowing when I'm slipping to make mm. sure it doesn't, like, I definitely hit burnout a few years ago. And um, it's it was a hard few months. Um, and I think I pulled myself out of that. Um, and I don't want to ever go back there. Mm. So I'm, I'm very cautious now um, of doing yeah. that. So, yeah. It's, um, and I think you can relate that back to the workplace in terms of as an employer, you can do so much, right? But it comes down to like you as an individual, you know, discovering more about yourself and how you're reacting and, you know, potentially what you're doing on a daily basis to manage that you know as, as organizations we can guide that but really it comes down to the individual as well and I only laughed while you were talking about that because I was like she's explaining my life like yeah. <laughs> my, that's like my triggers it's like yeah. Paul works too much and when my wife says Paul what color are we going to go in the bathroom and I, I don't know like do you choose <laughs> like exactly. I don't want to I don't want to make that decision now I'm just yeah. done but yeah it's 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 funny, like, you know, I, I talk a lot about self-awareness because I think it's so important in terms of, you know, the way I dealt with the challenges in my life, which was, you know, if I'm honest, like alcohol and distracting myself and, you know, all of those overworking, like all of those negative ways of dealing with it. 
And I think back to that moment before therapy, you know, you talk about therapy, therapy was something that really helped me. And, you know, I think I just had no idea I was doing any of that stuff. Like you're on complete autopilot robot mode, aren't you? And, and now, you know, I can step back and, you know, no, nothing's ever perfect. But as you say, you can be aware of it more before that burnout happens in a way. Yeah. And I, I, I know, like, I personally, like, don't drink um, as much anymore. Like, I've definitely kind of been there and done that and done the whole binging, especially younger and at university and stuff. But now um, I don't, I, I'm happy with alcohol free beers, no big deal. And on them times I go, oh, I think I'm going to have a big blowout with my mate. I'm like, hang on, what's going on here? What What's really going on here? What, what are you trying to escape from? And I think it's, it's that self-awareness, but also sometimes you just need to go and do that but it's it's about balance and I think and then not kind of feeling bad that you have gone and done something that is potentially negative but just just accepting it and going I clearly needed that at that point I'm gonna I'm now I'm gonna do something positive positive for myself so I think it's also just giving yourself a little bit of permission to to fail as well and not judge yourself yeah I love that and again, you know, you can try that. It's funny when you talk about this stuff, that translates very much into a workplace structure as well in terms of, you know, understanding that mistakes are going to be made. You know, a lot of HR professionals or businesses, businesses, let's say businesses, don't touch a lot of this stuff because they feel like they're going to do the wrong thing or they're going to say the wrong thing. Um, I've had it many times before of like, Paul, you can open up a can of worms if you come in and talk about your dad. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, no. <laughs> um, but it's like this fear because we feel like we're going to do it wrong. So like you say, we're going to make mistakes. We accept those mistakes as a as an organization as well. Um, but I think as well, as you say, you've got to ask why a little bit more as an organization. Like, why are we doing this? Why? know what's going to benefit from this you know the actual underlying strategy behind all of this i think is so important um i think culturally like we've got a challenge in like society in general because people behave in certain ways and then the media takes it way out of proportion and highlighting how bad of a person this person is or whatever that is and actually it's it's almost driving this element of perfection like we need mm. to be perfect and the organizations need to know what they're saying and they need to be perfect. Otherwise that kind of worm is going to be open. And I think instead it is just going, we're all people, we're all human. And I think there's a, it goes back to intention. Like if I was talking about something and I upset somebody, did I intend to do that? Or is it just a lack of education? And can that person respond to me and say, actually, you can't say that this is the right thing to say, or this is how that I perceive that. Are we having then difficult conversations or are we heading onto Twitter, into the media, whatever, and then kind of just starting to slag this person off because of this thing they've done? Like, we're not having them difficult conversations. We're just really quick to start blaming people and mm. thinking the worst. And I, I think we need to start seeing, you know, you know, thinking the best in people instead. Yeah, I love that. There's a question I've got because um, I'm interested in your perspective of it as well, is, you know, bringing your whole self to work. Um and I talk a bit about the masks, right? Like the masks I used to wear like at work. So I would be working away and I'm fine. I'm great. You know, I had a great weekend last night, but inside would be like, you know, all of these, all of these bad, bad thoughts that I'm having. Um, but, you know, bring your whole self to work is a hard one for me because I, 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 I do believe that's really important. But equally, what do you feel in terms of still having some separation. So what I mean by that is like, am I going to be completely the same person I am around my kids and wife 
um, when I'm at work. And then the work version of Paul, is that going to be the same as when I'm out of all of my friends, right down the pub? Like, what, what do you think about bringing your whole self to work? It's something I wrote about this actually in the book, because I, I want people to have the ability to feel like they can bring their whole selves to work. But I do still think that our boundaries are our boundaries and it's up to us how much we want to show to the world in certain situations. And I do think there's an element of, I wouldn't want to take, like it's my whole self, like I'm not, I'm going to sit there and go, this is what I did at weekend and I'll talk about it at work or say, you know, my wife rather than my partner and all these small things that allow you the whole self to come. But I don't, I don't, I wouldn't expect somebody to just bring and be the same person everywhere because I think there's an element of, what are you comfortable sharing? Um, mm. And there's, I guess, not a professionalism in the workplace, but more of a, if if bringing your whole self to work meant that you could potentially offend somebody or upset somebody or, you know, people, there's a situation actually a few years ago where there was a conversation between two colleagues and one of them was talking about how their one of their parents had cancer. And they were openly talking about it in the workplace. And a member of staff came to me and said, I need, I need some help. And she was really upset. And I was like, what's, what's going on? And she's like, well, she doesn't know that I've also kind of gone through that same experience. I don't want her to not be able to talk about it, but I really don't want to talk about it at work. Like, it just feels like something, I, I, I just want to get on with my job. Like, how do I handle that? And I think it goes back to that. That's a whole self. She obviously talking to this person, but it's, it goes back to context, I think. And, you know, is it appropriate for that person to just have that conversation at a desk? Or is it, I've got some stuff going on in my life. Um, can, we, can we go and grab a coffee in the cafe? Because I, I want to tell you about something that's going on and I, I want to, I need to talk. That's, for me, that's a, you're gearing that person up to say and have a decision on a yes or a no. And if they're not comfortable with that, they can then say, actually, I don't think I'm the right person, but can you, can you, how about talk to this person instead? Mm. And I, I think it, it goes back to that. I think it's just about the context and respecting other people's experiences and boundaries as well. Mm. Yeah. Difficult think, you know, one. It's a difficult one. I like what you said in terms of like how comfortable you feel, because, you know, when I talk about vulnerability, in particular, it's like, I'm, but I'm still sharing what I feel comfortable to share. So there's a lot of, I feel misconceptions around vulnerability in the workplace. Like I've got to tell my team absolutely everything about my life and cry in front of them every time I become vulnerable. You know, if I feel comfortable doing that, then fantastic. But you know, what I try and share is like, I, I'm vulnerable, but in a way that I feel comfortable to be vulnerable. Like, you know, I'm sure you can relate to this. There's stuff that I probably don't even tell my wife and my therapist, right? It's like, I'm still working my way. To, I'm still working my way to that, right? So, um, you know, I feel that with vulnerability, it comes on so many different levels. And I think, as you've said, it's about what we feel comfortable to share, but equally, what are we doing to challenge that comfort a bit more? Because if I don't challenge that comfort, I'll get to where I was before, like just burying it and not doing anything about it. But yeah, vulnerability, I'm sure like it comes on so many different levels, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's that having the difficult conversations and somebody else also, that self-awareness, knowing yourself, knowing what you can handle. And if your jug is full on that day and somebody needs to talk to you and you think this is going to tip my jug, like I, I have not got enough energy and emotional kind of support that I can give this person, it's probably going to do more harm than good. Mm. 
I need to kind of back out of this a little bit. Um, and I, I think you, you kind of, it's in a way, it kind of goes to the whole put your own kind of face mask on first before you look after somebody else. And I think that's quite a difficult concept. I'd rather look after everybody else first and then kind of go, oh, I'm not looked after myself. Yeah. Like I get to that point of when, oh yeah, I've 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 given all my energy to other people, but I think that's that's something I'm working on still. So yeah. yeah, but that's what makes you incredible at your at your work as well, right? Um, I've got two more questions. So a lot of this conversation, I think, has been around, as you say, human centric workplace, the importance of listening, you know, empathy, you know, and obviously in your work you deal with a lot of data as well, right? So is there any sort of data or research that you're seeing that allows organizations to almost monitor this and track this differently so um some cool really cool stuff actually i've been seeing recently um an organization called shape global so i've been working with them a little bit and they're all about the bringing the data into the workplace the research it's very science-based um, and it's all about okay you can collect all these data points but so what mm. and i think that's so the, the question that goes back to many organizations is they've probably got the answers, they've probably got the data, just not quite sure what to do with it and what it means. Um, and I think the, the, the challenge is really is what, what should we be doing with that data? What do we want to do with that data? What can we do with it? Um, and I think when we like start looking at all of the, the things that we put in place in the organization as a, an employee package, is it data driven or is it tick box driven? And I think that's the biggest thing for me. Like, you know, when you look at employee assistance programs, for instance, and it's, uh, oh, you've got 24 hour access to somebody on the other end of the phone call if you need it. And you're like, oh, right. in, in hindsight, yeah, that sounds brilliant. Is what you don't realize until you get into the detail of it is that if you need to speak to somebody, you speak to, to Bob on a Monday night. If you're struggling again on a Wednesday and you need to speak to somebody, you want to ring Bob back. You don't want to ring that same phone call back and speak to Susan instead. And then that's the, that's the it's a tick box rather than genuinely helping somebody because anybody that has gone through the, the therapy, the talking, anything, it's all about relationships and attachment and everything into that. So you don't want to speak to different people. Therefore, that for me makes that a little bit of a tick box. Um, however, in that need, it, obviously people need it, great. But if it's more long term, the need to, there needs to be another support mechanism in place to support that person, mm. you know, in a longer term rather than a, just a quick phone call with somebody to talk. Um, so I think just examples of that of you know how many times are people using these systems that are in place. Um, why are they using them and is it something that they need to use in the future and if it is is it the right package so mm. I just think that that's what really organizations could be and should be looking at really is what is the actual take-up of these things yeah comes back to listening again doesn't it yeah, <laughs> yeah always yeah listen like like you say it people are like oh where do I get this magical data from and as you said yeah. they've probably got the data already they just need to listen to it better and and actually what happens after they've got the data i really like that um so final question i didn't prep you with this so i apologize but we don't prep <laughs> we don't prep anyone with this because we like your first answer but um essentially just a one thing concept that we share with every guest is to if you can share one piece of advice that's resonated with you the most so a piece of advice that you've been given that's resonated with you the most yeah um, I think it's a, if you carry on juggling balls, 
people will see you as a ball juggler and they'll not take action until you drop a ball. So sometimes like it's okay to drop a ball because it will it will make people act. It's okay to kind of like just carry on trying to save the day all the time and like being the hero in the workplace and just even as a leader, like, you know, when you, you've got burnout issues and you're personally just working all the hours to keep up with the work and demand, organisations on the whole will let you carry on doing that because mm-hmm. until they feel the pain, they'll carry on. So I think for me, my one piece of advice is it's okay to drop a ball and, and shout about it as well. Like go, I can't do anymore. Like um, this is affecting me in X, Y, and Z ways. Um, so I think that'd be that'd be my first thing like that, that comes. That's really cool. It's really cool. It's almost like that saying, um, I believe I will, I believe I'm unbreakable until the day that I break, right? So it's like yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm juggling all these balls, and then all of a sudden, yeah, it all, all comes crumbling yeah, down. Yeah. No, um, I could carry on this conversation a lot longer, but just to finish up, where can people find out more about the book and find out more about you as well? Um, LinkedIn. I'm, I'm quite um, active over on LinkedIn. So Simone Fenton hyphen Jarvis. Um, and if you want to know more about the book as well, I'm also on social media. So you'll find me on Instagram at Bring Your Human, um, and also on my blog website, which is www.thehuman and then hyphen centricworkplace.com. Nice. Amazing. Well, we'll link up to all of that in the show notes as well, but no, from me, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate you um, spending the time speaking with us today. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Simone. Cheers.